Let me add my welcome to National Community Church, all six of our locations, and soon to be seven. Uh, so excited about what God is doing in us and through us. You know, we're, we are all over the world all the time, and uh, that's the way it should be. God's kingdom is advancing. And so uh, this weekend, a team from Guatemala comes back, and of course, next weekend, our team to Zambia leaves, and we have teams coming and going all the time. But we felt a couple of years ago, let's take this to another place, to another level. And so we sent uh, John and Steph Hassler. Uh, and I don't know if it's just the monitors or if it's me, but a little bit of a ring if we can uh, take it down just a little. Uh, we sent them over to Berlin uh, to do some reconnaissance, and we felt like God had something there for us. What would happen if we were on the ground uh, 24-7 through 65? And we're about to find out. Um, we're sending two teams. Love to invite you to be a part of it. Uh, one is a construction team, and uh, they're going to help renovate uh, an incredible, very cool cafe that's going to be kind of a, a base of operations, a front door, if you will, uh, in Berlin. And then a team of artists. I'd help if you were artistic <laughs> uh, to do some outreach, and we're going to use the arts as a primary way of reaching out uh, to the community in Berlin and incarnating the gospel. Uh, you can find some more info at uh, a18.org backslash Berlin. Well, this weekend we continue our How series. I want to talk about how to overcome temptation, and I believe you can. And if I didn't, I wouldn't preach it. Uh, we are more than conquerors through Christ. And I don't care how long you struggle. And I don't care how strong the addiction seems to be or something that you just feel like, I don't know if I can ever experience victory. I promise you, you can. You can. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about, how to overcome temptation. Let me encourage you to take out your phones. You're not moving. There we go. Silence them, but use them. Uh, hashtag how, and uh, if you don't know where to start, it might be cool just to link to our how trailer and let some folks in your uh, social networks know about the series that God's doing here at NCC. You can also turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll get there in a moment. Uh, so this week I found myself uh, at a Walmart in Fredericksburg, Virginia in the fishing aisle. I don't think I've been in the fishing aisle of any store since I was like seven years old. Uh, I don't claim to be a fisherman. Um, fish, don't claim to be a golfer either, golf. Um, but when you're uh, hypothetically down at Lake Anna for a week and you're fishing about every day, and you don't even get one bite, something has gone terribly wrong you might be using the wrong lure. And so I don't, I really don't know what bass like or crappies like or catfish like or they like different stuff, but I figure I'm going to go and kind of check this thing out. And who knew that there are a thousand different lures? And, uh, you know, the bottom line is this, if you're going to um, hook something, you got to bait something if you want to get a bite. Okay, you with me? Satan lives in the fishing aisle at Walmart. I don't mean that literally. Love Walmart. 
but he is doing his level best to bait you. I promise you that. See, we understand that God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our lives. That would be a good spot for an amen. It's awesome, isn't it? But then we ignore the flip side. Satan hates you and has a terrible plan for your life. And what we need to understand is that he's going to come at you from every angle. In fact, he has a number of different names in Scripture. None of them are complimentary. He's the accuser of the brethren, the deceiver, father of lies, and the tempter. It's what he does. It's what he does best, but I believe we can overcome it, and we're going to talk about it. I want to be careful um, not to give the enemy more credit than he deserves. You know that, that old saying, the devil made me do it? He didn't make you do it. That's not biblical. Um, sinful desires and sinful decisions that you made. Now, I'm not saying that someone who is not, who is demonically possessed, for example, m- might be under a sort of influence that they're, but they made a decision in the beginning. What I'm saying is Satan cannot violate your free will. The only authority he has in your life is authority that you give to him via your doubt or your disobedience or territory that you yield to him. Listen, we can do this thing. We can overcome temptation. And the Bible tells us how to do it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. This is great. This is a, this is a message for everybody because nobody has the immunity card. All of us experience temptation. And uh, we need this in varying degrees. Verse 11. These things happen to them as examples that were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. Now, I'd encourage you to read the first 10 verses and spend some time in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. But this is where we're picking it up. Verse 12. If you think that you are standing firm, take heed that you don't fall. And God is faithful He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can escape it. Wait, 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 no, so that you can endure it. Not escape it, endure it. Two very different things, but God will help you endure it. Uh, Mistakes, I think, are our best teachers. They're mean teachers, aren't they? Uh, We don't like learning from mistakes, but those are often the lessons that uh, we most need to learn. The challenge is um, you need to learn from them. See, I kind of live by this model. I make mistakes. I mean, I I communicate this to our staff, like make mistakes, but but different mistakes, (laughs) not the same mistake over and over and over again. I would suggest that habitual sin is making the same mistake over and over and over again, and that's not the kind of mistake that we should be making. You know, fool me once, uh, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. And so we've got to learn, and there are warnings that Scripture has for us, and we're going to talk about them. Verse 12, so if you think you are standing firm, take heed that you don't fall. When you make a mistake, you have to do a diagnostic. Uh, If you have a physical problem that you keep complaining about, but you never go to the doctor to get a diagnosis, you're going to keep treating the symptoms instead of discovering the root cause. And we do that all the time 
spiritually. We ask God to forgive us, but that's as far as we go. God, treat the symptom of my sin, which is my guilt. And he does it, but there's another level that God wants us to go to, and that is he wants to transform us by his power into his likeness. And that means you need to discover the root cause. If you're having car trouble, but you never take your car to the mechanic, you don't have a car problem. You have a you problem. (laughs) You need to take it to the mechanic. And in the same way, if you aren't taking the steps necessary to get help, I I think that's our primary problem when it comes to temptation. James 1.12 says, each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. Overcoming temptation starts with identifying and admitting your sinful desires. Now, the big three, according to First uh, John 2.16, are lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Let's take a moment and talk about those. The lust of the flesh refers to anything that meets a physical need, but meets it in a way that is sinful. Now, it can be as obvious as food uh, or sexual desire. Uh, We have these appetites that are biological and sexual and emotional. Uh, But how and where we feed those desires uh, is the key. Now, what you feed grows and what you starve dies. If you feed your sinful appetites, they will grow and you will get hungrier and hungrier for whatever it is that you wrongfully crave. But if you starve it to death, it will die. Now, Galatians 5 gives us a laundry list of some of these lusts of the flesh. It says uh, uh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, and orgies. Okay, pretty comprehensive list right there. Um, of a wide array of the lusts of the flesh. I think the big three in our culture, just to be blunt, are pornography, gluttony, and alcoholism. We turn to mood-altering pictures, mood-altering foods, mood-altering drinks instead of God. And so we turn to our comfort food instead of our comforter. The lust of the eye is covetousness. Um, it's playing the accumulation game, if you will. It's an insatiable desire for more, and enough is never enough. And then the pride of life is probably uh, the most self-explanatory. Self-glorification. It's all about me. world revolves around me. My needs, my wants, even God We try to use him to serve our purposes instead of us serving his purposes. Now, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. You can be surprised the first time, and you can be semi-surprised the second time. But the third and fourth time, it should no longer be a surprise. What we've got to do is identify the pattern of temptation. Write that down. Pattern of temptation. It's unique to each one of us. Um, I think the key are a couple of questions, and so let me ask them. Uh, Number one, 
when are you most tempted? Is there a day of the week? Is there a time of day? Uh, Is it late at night? Is it after a fight with your spouse? Is it when you've had a frustrating day at work? Is it when you're traveling for work and you're away from home? Is it when you're watching television or you're on your computer by yourself? Or is it when you're at a party with a group of friends that influence you more than you influence them? You've got to figure out those situations that put you into compromising positions. If you do a diagnostic, you'll find a pattern. You need to identify those situations that get you in trouble. Then you've got to identify your temptation triggers, and all of us have them. Um, When I order the third drink, I lose a little bit of emotional restraint and say things and do things I later regret. Really, shocking. Um, When I look through the Victoria's Secret catalog shopping for my wife, I feel a strange sexual arousal. Really. Um, When a group of friends start gossiping, it's so hard for me not to join in the conversation. Okay. Now we're getting somewhere. What is it? We want to not think about it, but that's exactly what we identify. What are those temptation triggers that trigger the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life? Jesus said, watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. In other words, you've got to be on your guard. You've got got to anticipate it uh, so that you keep from walking into those situations. All right, let me give you seven bullet points. Here we go. Number one, guard your heart. Listen, temptation starts with our emotions, with guarding our heart. If you're in a bad place emotionally, you are more susceptible to temptation. Now, I'm going to tell you one of the biggest ones. It's unresolved guilt. Guilt will compound in your life if you don't get it right by confessing it to the Lord Jesus and getting into a place where you're in right relationship with Him. It's in that place of guilt that we have tremendous spiritual weakness. There's really not much left to fight the enemy. And then generally speaking, if you're at a place where, you know, you had a bad day at work and a not-so-great conversation with your wife, and then your kids are kind of acting up or acting out, and the emotional tank is empty, you are far more susceptible to the enemy's attacks. And so you just have to guard your heart and have the self-awareness to know this is probably not a good time to make a big decision. Uh, This is not the right time for us to get into this conversation. So you got to guard your heart. Number two, Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. My question is, what do you need to cut off in your life? Because there's probably something that needs to be cut off so that you can uh, keep your relationship with God in the right place. Um, And you might have to do something dramatic. Now, Jesus is speaking in hyperbole, but it shows how serious he is about that. Like, like, no, pluck out your eye or cut off your hand if it causes you to sin. Um, You might need to end a relationship with your drug dealer. Seriously, who's feeding your sinful habits? If you aren't influencing them, 
they're influencing you for a season. You might have to cut that off. Now, Jesus was a friend of sinners, but it, their sin didn't affect him. His holiness affected them. Uh, number three, don't give the devil a foothold. Now, this is an interesting terminology. Uh, all he wants is just a little foothold in your life. Not a big thing, just a little thing. And uh, if you give him an inch, he'll take a mile. Now, this could be a seed of bitterness, something that's not been fully resolved or forgiven in your heart, uh, an offense that you haven't totally let go of or unresolved anger in your heart. Well, the verse right before it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Man, the Bible is so practical and so true. In other words, don't let your problems compound by leaving them unresolved. Uh, don't repress it. Confess it. Get it right and do it quickly. Is there something that you need to deal with that little foothold in your life? If you don't, listen, molehills turn into mountains before you know it. Number four, I think the best offense is a good defense or the best defense is a good offense. Uh, Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Now, this is interesting because this is the replacement principle. You can't stop sinning by not sinning. Uh, goodness is not the absence of badness. You can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. I mean, it doesn't just say, like, stop stealing. Get a job. Get a job. Work. Do something, why? So that then it goes on and says, so that then you can be generous with others. Um, listen, I, I think the, the, our biggest challenge is we try not to sin by not sinning. Instead of getting a vision that's bigger than the sin in your life that captivates you in a way that you just don't have time for that ancillary sin issue in your life because you're too busy pursuing the vision that God has given you. You need to get a vision from God so that you can overcome that. Um, I think one of the best ways to safeguard your marriage against adultery, and there's never an excuse for adultery, but one of the greatest safeguards is to cultivate a healthy sexual relationship with your spouse. If you don't have one, uh, you need to get one. You need to work on your sexual relationship, and it might be one of the most spiritual things you do as a married couple. Uh, I love the story my friend tells about preaching on this topic um, years ago, uh, right around the time that um, Walt, uh, Wilt Chamberlain, the former um, basketball player, uh, shared or divulged that he had had 20,000 sexual partners. And so my friend got up one morning and, and uh, pronounced to his congregation that he had had sex 20,000 times with one woman, his wife and immediately realized he had probably miscalculated <laughs> because they had been married 16 years. If you do the math, that's 3.4 times per day. <laughs> so three times was an off day for my friend. <laughs> but in all seriousness, you need to cultivate that healthy sexual relationship as a gift that God has given to you and to your spouse. Uh, number five, I believe fasting breaks the yoke of slavery. 
Uh, fasting is a powerful spiritual discipline that can um, turn the tide in your life. Not overcome temptation. It takes more than willpower. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit. And the way the Holy Spirit comes and fills us is when we empty ourselves. And one way that we empty ourselves is via fasting. And by the way, if you can say no to food, you can say no to a ton of other things. And so fasting, uh, I think of it as the no muscle. Uh, fasting is the ability to say no to food, but you're strengthening a spiritual muscle that allows you to say no to other things. Um, be, because this is, it's the transitive property. If you cultivate physical disciplines in your life um, with diet and exercise, I promise you it will be easier to exercise spiritual discipline in your life and vice versa. These things are not compartmentalized. And so what fasting does is it's a way that we discipline ourselves and uh, empty ourselves so that God can fill us and we cultivate this strength to be able to resist the temptation that comes our way. Uh, number six, get into God's Word. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, he defended himself with Scripture. It's our sword. It's our shield. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And number seven, get some help. You can't do it by yourself. Uh, you need a spotter. You need a trainer. You need someone uh, to keep you honest and keep you hum humble. You need to give someone in your life permission. If you're struggling in an area of your life, you need to give someone permission to speak into your life in that area, to ask you tough questions, to hold you accountable. Uh, you don't have enough self-discipline uh, in and of yourself to pull it off. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, Two people are better than often one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Listen, what the enemy wants to do is divide and conquer. Wants to isolate you. Wants to put you in a place that you feel like you're the only one who struggles with your particular temptation. I promise you, there are 101 people in this church that struggle with exactly what you struggle with, and most of them struggle with it to a much higher degree than you do. But if the enemy can get us to think that we're the only one dealing with our problem, then he divides and conquers. And so I think there's something powerful when we do what Scripture says, admit your faults to one another. Um, you need some other people to come alongside you and help you. So the first question is, when do you experience temptation? The second diagnostic question is this, what's the payoff? And this is where you've got to do an autopsy on the sin in your life. Uh, here's one of my definitions of sin, meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. More often than not, it's some desire, something that God, you know, I mean, it's God-given, but the problem is we try to go outside the boundaries that God has created. I think sex is a good example. Um, now, sex was God's idea. He's the one who designed it uh, and designed us anatomically, hormonally, everything in between. Uh, he gave us sexual desire. It's a gift from him. Uh, the catch is that marriage is the context in which that gift is given. And uh, I think there are a lot of people in our culture who aren't willing to wait. Um, now, the payoff 
is pretty obvious, sexual pleasure. But you're compromising future potential and causing future complications. I'm not talking about getting pregnant or getting a sexually transmitted disease. Um, I'm simply talking about your ability to experience intimacy with your future spouse. The more memories you have of past sexual partners, the harder it will be to be fully present with your spouse. Um, Like a Band-Aid that gets put on and pulled off multiple times, you lose your adhesive quality. And sex becomes something it wasn't intended to be. Let me pause right here. Am I saying that then it's done and gone? No. God can heal you. God can give you back what you have given up. And this is not a church where we send people on guilt trips. It's, it's never about where we are right now or where we've been. It's always about, well, what direction are we headed? Are we on, are we on the path that God has for us. And so my prayer for every single one of us is that we would set a course of purity so that God can fully use us the way that he wants to. Now, the effects of adultery are pretty obvious. You're breaking a covenant relationship with your spouse. And it's interesting because our culture gets that and, and you know, understands that. Um, but our culture has bought into this lie that sex before marriage is no big, big deal. Biblically speaking, you are cheating on your future spouse if you have sex before marriage. But what if I marry the person I'm living with or sleeping with? Well, then wait until God gives you the green light. But it's hard. Then get married. You got to play the game by the rules God established if you want to experience the happiness and holiness. Now, let me go back to the emotional payoff. How do you feel right before you're tempted? Have you ever stopped and just kind of identified, like, now, right before I stepped right into that trap of the enemy, what was I feeling? Uh, what was that temptation trigger? Uh, is it when you get mad? When you get frustrated, when you get anxious, get tired, get bored, whatever it is, you need to identify what that thing is so that you can overcome it and avoid it. All right, verse 13. Ah, this is good stuff. And God is faithful. God is faithful. He is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Listen, there is a way out of every temptation. There is an exit. If you look for it, there is a means of escape. It might take a radical decision, but there is a way out. Whatever situation you're in, if you feel trapped, I promise you, if you yield yourself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, He will get you out of that situation. He will heal you. He will restore you. He will transform you. He has a great plan and purpose for your life, no matter how many mistakes you've made. You've got to make a predecision. Now, we talk about that a lot around here, and I think this is one key to overcoming temptation. A predecision is a decision you make before you make the decision. Okay, if you wait until you're in this situation to make the decision, 
nine times out of 10, you will probably make the wrong decision. And so you've got to make decisions before you make the decision. The reason why we fall into temptation is because we forget who we are in Christ. We forget our identity. We are more than conquerors. Uh, you are the blood-bought child of God. You are a child of the King. You are the apple of His eye, and you are more than a conqueror. I'm going to tell you something. Um, I absolutely love and believe in my kids, um, as it should be. I don't think anybody can believe in uh, another human being more than a parent believes in the destiny of their children. I also know that children have to make a decision. Uh, here's one thing that, that I believe and one thing I've tried to communicate, and maybe this is for other parents. When your child acts out of character, and by that I mean out of the character of Christ, you remind them that that's not who they are. That isn't who they are. No, because they're a child of God. That's not their character. That's not their identity. And so you call them back to being who God has called them to be, to walk in the path that God has for them. Verse 14, therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. You got to know when to hold them, know when to fold them, know when to walk, and when to run away. The word flee means to hightail it out of there. It means to run in the opposite direction as fast and as far as you possibly can. You run away and then you stay away. You can't play with fire. And this is where you need the Holy Spirit. It's to speak to you. And it's going to be lovingly, but it's probably going to be tough love. You can't play around with what you're playing around with and avoid the consequences. You can't break the law of sowing and reaping. It can only break you. And my prayer is that you would make the tough decision sooner than later before you forfeit more potential for God's kingdom. I believe that you can't seek God without fleeing sin, and you can't flee sin without seeking God. They're two sides of the same coin. So a couple of weeks ago, I talked about seeking God. I think this is the flip side. You've got to run away from it. And the Bible's blunt. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Best picture, and then we're almost done, is Joseph. The Bible says he was well-built and handsome. And he caught the eye of Potiphar's wife. And she said to him on multiple occasions, come to bed with me. I guess that's what they said thousands of years ago. <laughs> well, one day Joseph walks in and none of the other household servants are there. And it says she caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and it doesn't say he walked out of the house. He ran away. I mean, on one level, there's like well-built. I mean, this guy, solid, strong. He doesn't just walk out. He runs. He flees from this situation. And you know what? 
It's interesting because he ends up getting you know, false accusations, ends up uh, in prison for a crime he didn't commit. And so for you know, a decade at least, I mean, it just seems like, wow, why wouldn't I be better off if I had just yielded to that temptation? What he didn't know at the time is that he would have compromised the destiny of two nations because he ended up saving both the house of Israel and Egypt. Defining moment. Listen to me. One of the defining moments of your life may be the moment that you finally run away from something and seek God. What, what are you waiting for? Let the Holy Spirit work on your heart. Verse 21, and then we're done. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Now, the Corinthians were living double lives, and Paul calls them out. This isn't who you are. God has bigger and better plans for you. You know, it was uh, Peter Marshall who said something I've always loved. He said, we're too Christian to enjoy sinning and too sinful to enjoy Christ. We try to have it both ways. We talk out of both sides of our mouth. And it stirs up God's jealousy because he wants all of you. He wants your full devotion. Temptation met its match at Calvary's cross. The spiritual high ground is always found at the foot of the cross. The cross is never closed. Mercy shop is always open. But the door is only three feet tall. You can only get in on your knees. You have to humble yourself. But if you humble yourself at the foot of the cross, you'll be forgiven and your sin will be forgotten. And God will begin a new chapter in your life, a one where you overcome the same temptation that has defeated you your entire life. And he'll begin to work through you in a way that you wouldn't even imagine. It's there that we find his grace. It's there that we find his tough love, too. The battle against temptation begins and ends at the foot of the cross. And so it's only appropriate that this weekend at all of our locations, we come to the Lord's table. We celebrate communion, uh, Eucharist, whatever your tradition called it. It's a moment when we take a pilgrimage back to the foot of the cross, the place that we first yielded our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you to do that this weekend. Now, some of you, as we celebrate communion, it'll be the thousandth time that you've done it. But for others, maybe it will be the very first time. And I want to invite you to make that decision to yield your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't think of a better way of symbolizing that than by celebrating communion for some of you for the very first time. So I want to pray for us at all of our locations. Our worship bands are coming. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to worship the Lord, and we're going to celebrate communion together in just a few moments. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. 
God, thank you for your power. Lord, thank you that you provide a way out. You provide an escape. You provide an exit. Lord, I know that there are some this weekend that feel so lost and that have such a losing streak that it feels like they can't win for losing. But God, I pray that right now that you would uh, quicken the faith in their hearts, that they would recognize and realize that the battle was won 2,000 years ago, that you defeated sin and death, and that all we have to do is not win the victory because it's already been won. We need to simply uh, resist the devil. We need to stand firm. We need to take heed. We need to take some of these steps so that we can stand in the grace that you have given to each one of us. Lord, I believe you this weekend for incredible victories in people's lives that would trace back to this moment. And Lord, if there's a moment when we stumble and fall again, I pray that we wouldn't just throw in the towel. It might be one step back, but God, help us get up and take two steps forward in the direction of the Lord Jesus. I pray that right now by your Holy Spirit, you would come and encourage us powerfully that we would realize that we can't do this, but you can do this in us and through us. All things are possible, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, and that includes overcoming the temptation that has defeated us for years. Lord, these things we pray in the full power and grace of the Lord Jesus. Amen.